0: Welcome to Bulletproof Business, Bulletproof Business, a podcast about the best strategies for exponential growth, achieving success, and dealing with failure. Hosted by the founders of Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency, John Trusty and Brady Morgan, they seek to bring fresh and eye-opening conversations with successful business leaders to the surface. Welcome to the show. Before we dive into the episode, let's talk about our company, Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency. We do exactly what our name says. We staff business owners with virtual talent so they can grow to the next level. Whether you're looking to offload administrative, creative, or technical tasks, we are your number one solution for outsourcing. Head over to our website, www.vastaffing.agency. Book a call with our team and get started For free.
1: What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am one of the hosts of Bulletproof Business with my co-host and business partner, John Trusty. We have a special guest today, Charlie Yielding. Charlie is a CEO of G-Squared Wireless and a major tech advocate. Charlie, what's going on, man? Hi there. Appreciate you coming on the show. So before we dive into your journey as a CEO and a tech advocate, we always ask this first question. What is the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on?
2: Yeah. So I'm glad you guys brought that up before because it's, or ahead of time, because it took me a bit to get it around, get my head around it. But uh, I would say in the past six months, we've spent $4,500 on uh, leads to generate new business and whatnot. And those leads were absolutely a 100% a waste of time.
1: Yep. And money. Yeah. Yep. I think that's what happens when you buy leads, honestly.
2: <laughs> I, think, I, think I think there's it can a happen way to do it. Yeah, I, I think there's a way to do it, but I don't know what that is. And I got, you know, like you deal with new, uh, new vendors and different types of things that you don't have expertise in, you're eventually going to get burned. And I just got burned on the first one.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. There, so there's a platform we use. It's called Apollo.io. It's $19 mm-hmm. a month. Basically it's like a database of people. I think there's like 200 something million people in there, but you can filter it based off, you know, revenue of the company. Do they have any job postings? Uh, where are they located? What's the title of the person you're looking for? Their email. You can get their mobile numbers. It's really cool. And we use it a lot for lead generation because I think when you buy leads, I think a lot of them are shit. Um, there might be a few that are good. But I think by the time you get to those few that are good, you're so burned out on the ones that were terrible before, you just don't care anymore. So you just give up and throw in the towel.
2: Yeah, well, we had a situation where I, I think they were pulling some shenanigans, though. So that was our big rub yeah. because they were like, Yeah, so we're going to put this thing up on the internet. It's like we, we provided them some copy and some marketing materials and all that kind of stuff. And then people are, they told us, they told us people are going to go in and they're going to fill this out. And then they're going to, uh, they're requesting the information, right? So when you reach out to them, they're expecting it. Uh, We got, we got about a hundred leads in a month before we terminated it completely. The only two responses we got from actual people were, I never did this. And then we got two other responses from, uh, from people that were like, Oh, this person hasn't worked here since before you even started doing the leads. And then we take that to the company and they're like, well, somebody must've done it. And I'm like, I bet somebody did do it. Well, yeah. Was it somebody at the company, or was it somebody that had this person's information and put it in for them? Yeah, that's a that's
1: kind of a scammy way of doing it. But that's why I never trust buying leads because you do not know. And that's usually the process, right, Trusty? Like people say, "Oh, yeah, they, they inquired about this, so you should call them because they're interested in what you have to do." I inquire about a lot of stuff that I have no intention of spending money on.
3: Yep, mm-hmm. it's free. It. Low hanging fruit.
1: Yeah. I so, lists. Charlie, you looking at your LinkedIn, you've gone from a help desk agent, 2009, 2011 at G Squared Wireless, now the CEO. How did that happen? Bridge that gap for us.
2: So where do you you want to start? Like just at the beginning?
1: Yeah, not not too long form, right? But like, how how do you grow
2: to literally the
1: top of a company from, I don't want to say the bottom of a company, but probably a bottom tier position in regards to what you're at now?
2: All right. So the simple response is like I started moving in direction and didn't stop no matter how hard it was or how much stress that I took on. Uh, And my mindset was always, uh, always try to arrange the new stuff as it comes in so I can uh, either automate or delegate and then move into something else. And so so my idea was to to see a problem, build up a solution, hand the responsibility and then move through the company. And so I went from. Uh, help desk agent to operation or to implementation manager to operations manager, to VP of operations, to COO, and then eventually CEO. A couple of times in that situation, in that, uh, in that path, I, you know, I found myself completely and totally underwater, like couldn't handle the workload, couldn't handle, like this was my first like real technology driven in office job. Like I'd worked at Radio Shack before I'd done loans before, but i would never really had a job where I had tasks to keep up with that would span, you know, weeks. And so uh, when I was that implementation manager, I was taking phone calls, managing clients, and all this other kind of stuff because I was just like, give me all the responsibility you can. And it was, you know, I was the eighth employee. And so there was a lot of that, like, well, we need somebody to do this. And I just was willing to step up. But at one point when I was a a client, uh, client manager slash implementation manager, my my then boss took me out to eat some lunch. And while we were out there, he was just like, look, you're not cutting it. You're, you're dropping too much stuff. Things are falling through the cracks. Like we're getting complaints. You got to get good or go home. And so I decided to get good. And what I did is I just went to the Internet and I found like I found a way to manage all of the information that was kind of floating around me. I developed strategies around ubiquitous capture, long-term note-taking, task management, all this other kind of stuff. And it put me in a good position to grow from that uh, from that bad spot, from that failure point. And yeah. so I grew out of that. And then everything was kind of smooth and peachy keen. We built out training, we built out quality control, we built out analytics and reporting for the company to help us uh, you know manage scale, call volume and stuff, and just just to put that out there we we run a a mobile help desk so we're doing help desk stuff all the time for mobility and mobility is one of the fastest uh changing industries in technology so we quickly learned that like knowledge base management was just as important as capturing the information to begin with because if we couldn't distribute it to all of our agents we wouldn't be successful so Time went on, got to the CEO role or, you know, everybody at G squared starts from the bottom. We don't have a single employee that didn't start at an entry level. And so sometimes when people get into those positions, it doesn't work out. And so the CEO before me got into the CEO role and a CEO role is very ambiguous. And at the time I was really judgmental. I was just like, you know, do your thing. But when you when you are the CEO and you're not hundred percent sure of what your thing is, hard to figure that out right so (laughs) either way it didn't work out with it didn't work out with him and so he vacated the the spot i stepped in and then i immediately learned all of that stuff that i was looking at from the other side of the fence was extremely stressful and so in 2017 when i took this over or took this spot over i probably spent the first six months like digging myself into a hole i guess is the best way to put it it was the second time in my career i found myself completely and totally underwater and uh at that point i had to i had to do another deep digging down and figure out like what a ceo is supposed to do how a ceo manages all of these things that you're supposed to do on a day-to-day basis that you may not see traction from or you know regarding for 18 months like i just got to do things until the reward eventually comes around and it can be way out there yeah or it could not be there at all and so that's you know that's new stress that I wasn't, I wasn't used to. And so it's been, it's been a long stressful ride, but like every time I hit a difficult point, I've got to dig down or I've got to quit and I'm not a quitter personally.
0: Yeah.
3: So as the CEO of G squared wireless, what's the the overarching goal or the mission for y'all? What are, what are y'all looking to do specifically?
2: In the industry or as a company? In the industry? So in the industry, we want to be the help desk. So there's a, in, uh, so I work in, uh, adjacent to an industry that's just, it's mobile telecom expense management and support. It's, it's, uh, uh, mobile. Well, anyways, it's just mobile lifecycle management. And, and so what my company does is we provide the butts and seats to, uh, uh, Complement the the software that does the optimization and all that kind of stuff. So we'll order the devices, make sure that the end users. And so we specifically provide support to enterprise clients. So our average yeah. client has about 5,000 lines, 10,000 plus employees, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we've got deployments up to 25,000 lines. And so we're taking anywhere between 15 to 25,000 phone calls a month with about 50 employees total. So the, uh, The goal is to be the most consistent, highest quality help desk here in the US that exists and and essentially work with some of these telecom expense management companies to take their help desk on ourselves and then be the ubiquitous uh, help desk. And so it doesn't matter where you go, you're using us. And I feel like we're doing, you know, the pandemic through, through a wrench into our planning, but coming out of the other side, like some of those things I was talking about earlier, with training at QC has set us up in a way where we can we can hire and maintain employees in a time where that's very, very difficult, especially in my industry, because my industry is notorious for uh, trampling prices, because there's a couple of big companies that want the logos more than they care about the profits right now. And so we're all paid for that.
1: Right. So with what you guys are trying to do in the industry and essentially taking it over, do you, how far away are you from that? What what other competition do you have that you're up against?
2: So there are a couple of other companies, and I, I'm not going to be talking about specific names or whatnot, that provide services similar to ours, but it's, it's not exactly the same. Because we just do support, and there are a couple of other companies that do support that they'll sell to you separately but they also do the expense management piece, which is in direct competition with a lot of the people that we try to work with. But since they have that software piece to it, they're able to short sell the help desk side or the sports side because they'll just eat profits from other divisions or other other parts of their company or whatnot. And so they can artificially deflate the price more easily than we can. So we come to the table with a price and I can explain to you from top to bottom how it works, what goes into it. And the whole point is so when your end users call us and say they call us 10 times and ask the same question 10 times, we give them the same answer as fast as possible, 10 times in a row. And that in our in, in the United States, specifically with regards to mobility, is not very common.
1: So it sounds it's like SOPs and processes are very, very important in your industry. So that the, the help desk yeah. agents know exactly what to say with specific questions
2: Mm -hmm. so we're actually in the middle of like g squared is actually in the middle of like a a revamping because we went home two days after the pandemic was announced because we already had a pandemic plan in place thanks to one of our healthcare customers that required us to have one we went home we stayed home and it was kind of you know it was first it was two weeks then it was a couple of months and then it was six months and then So much time went by that earlier this year, I had uh, town halls with all the employees and not a single employee wanted to come back full time. And so we were just like, okay, we see the writing on the wall and we got rid of two thirds of our space. And we're now 100 percent virtual, 100 percent virtual, almost 100 percent virtual. We do have a logistics facility where people have to touch devices and there's four employees there that do that. But apart from that, we're all remote, but we still got in office culture in-office processes and all of that stuff has to be revamped. We're in the middle of that right now. And that's a very, uh, like getting traction on that is very rejuvenating, especially when, you know, over the past 18 months, the pandemic has kind of put everybody into a spot where you're just like, am I doing good or am I not doing good? This feels bad. So I must be doing bad. But now that I'm coming out the other end of the pandemic and I'm talking to all these other companies getting input from how things are going. Like I was just like, well, we may be a patchwork ship on the ocean and we may be listening to one side, but we're still afloat and we're still moving forward. And a lot of companies can't say that right now. Right. Especially service oriented companies.
3: How has the the pandemic going to more of a remote work, virtual work style affected your business? Has that been for the positive or for the negative?
2: Well, so in the beginning of the pandemic, it was very negative because all of our sales, all of our renewals, everything dried up. Like every company we worked with was just like, you know what's not happening? Spending money's not happening. So all of this stuff is getting shut down. All of our projects got shut down, everything. And so we've got a 12 to 18 month sales cycle. And so in the beginning, it wasn't as bad because, you know, sales got shut down. But then the beginning of this year into like the middle of the summer and stuff like that's when we're starting to feel it because we've got nothing coming from a pipeline to help with the churn that we're having. And so in the beginning, the churn wasn't so bad either. We did have a couple of our customers and it's funny having an enterprise customer that makes, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars a year come to little old us to ask for a flat 10% reduction in cost just because, (laughs) and uh, like, we didn't, we didn't do any of that. We did do some creative stuff to help, help people out, but you're not going to come tax your vendors. To try and make your own profit. Like you pay us for what we do, we're gonna do it. And now if they wanted to talk about what we're gonna remove from scope and stuff, that'd be fine, but it was never that. It was just like give me, give me, give me money, and we weren't doing it. So the uh, so those were the negative aspects of it. those. Those were where we took the hits. So coming into 2020, we had a plan of how we were going to approach and be the help desk. Like I was talking about earlier, all of that was trashed and thrown in the garbage and all that kind of stuff. We've been working for years to diversify our revenue. So there was no one st- revenue stream that would cripple us. Uh, a lot of that went away when uh, some of these companies were consolidated. But uh, one of the positives were we were able to hire like we went home on a Friday we hired our first remote employee, 100, uh, first hundred percent remote employee, that following Monday, and then our trainer has won a training award for virtualizing training, all that kind of stuff. And then in in the in the current times, that's been actually where our success is coming from. So so you know, I'd say six months ago, everything was still up in the yeah. air. You're like, we're trying to do stuff. on building new revenue streams. We're working on, uh, we're working on uh, like improving our existing revenue streams, but it's just, you know, it's that traction. You're not getting anything out of it until it actually happens, but you got to do something. Yeah. And so where we found the most success was we can hire and maintain people is what I was talking about earlier. We've got the training. And so, so a, a conversation I've had, is uh is like somebody in the industry is trying to like you know they're they're trying to vent because they think i'm experiencing the same thing and they're like you know you can't keep people these days and i was just so well we can and it's like well you can't hire new people and i was like oh we can do that too and he was like well how are you able to hire people and i was like well let me ask you a question what are your requirements to hire a person and he's like well they gotta have mobile experience they gotta work on a help desk and i was like you stop right there what percentage of the population or of the active workforce has that experience. I not a lot, but not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot yeah. at all, but of those people who are good people and who are not. And so if you take yeah. that into consideration, this, the, the group of people you get to pull from is small.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So from our side of things, like we saw this writing on the wall back in the teens and whatnot. So in 2015, I think is when we hired our first, no experienced person. So I got the job at Radio Shack because I sold cell phones, or at, at G-squared because I sold cell phones at Radio Shack. And I had a degree, which is what we had to have to get a job back then. But we got rid of all those requirements. And so I'll train a smart person, or G-squared will train a smart, or smart person to be a mobile expert in about 16 weeks. Two of that's in, in uh, like, in-class training. And then the other, the rest of it's, like, go out and do some stuff, come back and do some additional training, go out and do some stuff. And then, but after 16 weeks, they've got a career in mobility and the ability to put a lot of stuff on their resume. And so that's that's more the ideology of G Squared is like when you start working with us, we're going to give you value as an employee immediately. And then we've got a couple of other steps where people can do that. But people see that from the get-go. I can communicate that in the interview. And so we get, like of all the offers we make, we get about 90% acceptance rate because we've got like the, if you want to come in and just make this money, that's fine. Here's the lead metrics and we'll give you everything you need to do that. And so we're pulling from a larger group of people and we just get to pick the smartest ones. Funny fact, or cool fact, I guess, our lead trainer right now was one of the first people we hired. She, we hired two people at the same time, but she was one of the first people we hired that had no mobility experience. And now she trains mobile experts.
1: Well, that's a testimony in itself that you don't even need the experience to succeed. So yeah, the, these exactly. people is a selling point. I think this is an interesting question. Is a selling point to people to accept the role at G Squared Wireless? You saying, "Hey, I started at the bottom. I'm now I'm the CEO." I'm assuming that probably prompts people to be like, "Okay, that's interesting. I want to grow within a company that fast." Do you do you find that to be a factor?
2: Yeah. Well, so so here's the thing. Like, what's the most important thing an employee wants to know about their job?
1: Probably upward mobility. I would think outside of how much they're getting paid.
2: It's what they do matters. They've yeah. got to know that what they're doing applies to the bigger goal. But I can I can. But I can give them multiple paths or multiple visions of a path in an interview. And normally I don't do interviews, but here recently I've been doing more uh, because this it's worth being said. It's it's like if you just want to come in and make money, I've got you. If you want to come in and grow, I've got you on that end too. And but you've got to decide one one way or the other. And that this growth path path it ain't easy. And you may get to a spot where you hate everything about your job because mm-hmm. everything's stressful. But we're going to give you everything you need. We're going to give you all the tools and all the information to uh, to to kick its ass. But it's going to take work. There's yeah. no other saints or buts about it. But if you just want to come in and learn what you need to learn and do that, that's fine. And a lot of people, they, they like the ability to choose. Right. But I'm, I'm putting, I'm building into the, the, the vision, so to speak, that, that they can, they can do a set of work, you know, just entry level work. And that matters because we sell our services based off the quality of those entry level people. Because like I said earlier, the quality that the end users are getting from the help desk is why we're the best at what we do. And so that's directly relevant to our sales.
1: Yeah, no, I I would say that too. So like we're, we work in international staffing and we're big believers in like, yes, what you have to do matters or what your company, what your company does has to matter. But the team around you ultimately makes that dream or that goal a reality. And I think if people coming in, I think it's a fine line, right? Like, if you want someone to come in and just make money, like, sure, that's fine. But you can't have your entire workforce just there to make money because all the, it's, I think it's a very selfish perspective of I'm here for me, not for G squared wireless. But I think if you have that healthy balance, right? Cause I think people who are here to make money, maybe they're in a sales role, the more money they make, the more money the company is going to make and vice versa. So I think it's, sure. I think it's a, it's a dynamic that people have to be very careful with, but have to understand that the team they create is, one of the most important, if not the most important things when growing a business.
2: I agree. Now imagine a culture where everybody speaks the exact same operational and uh, directional language because mm-hmm. we all come from the same place.
1: Yeah. So, Absolutely. so I'm on the
2: interview as a CEO who started as a help desk agent. And oftentimes I'll have the president or the, and, or the COO. And we've all got the same story. The president started in 2010 on help desk. The COO started as a contractor in 2010 and now here we are 11 years later and we're all you know we're all executives but everybody in the company mid-level four years five years six years seven years experience 12 years experience we all got the same dialogue and it it goes a long way especially in person to create a culture that you just can't beat but our problem now is that since we're all separated and, and like in our own space how do we maintain that culture and that vibe and that hype, so to speak. And so that's where we're retooling a lot of that stuff.
3: Yep. Yeah. That's a kind of a common thing for us that we had to work with because we do work with nothing, but inter- most of our, all of our employees are international. Uh, they're all in the Philippines. So it was uh, a challenge at first, but I, I think we've done a really good job. Brady's kind of headed the whole morale, morale and culture side of things, and and we've got a very close team. Uh, Charlie, I want to ask you, how, how did – starting at the bottom, going through all of the roles, really working your way through the company and now being CEO, how did that? How did understanding those roles and being a part of those roles help you to be a better CEO?
2: So uh, I've got a term that's called throwing the shit over the fence. And what that means is the sales team goes out and bobbleheads some crap. They bring it back and the business leaders say, okay, that's cool because it's going to make us money. Then they throw the scope over to the operations people and the operations people are like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> this is not what we do at all. Yeah. This is not some solution that we can slap together. And that's prevalent in our industry. It's prevalent in a lot of industries, but ours specifically, because mobility is just so like, how do you manage it? What do you do? What are these things like? And then you add the software component to it and it's just like, well, what's what's the software capable of? And more often than not, it's not immediately capable right? that may be an overstatement. A lot of the times it's not immediately capable of doing uh, what's sold. And so it has to be built out. And then I've watched I've watched entire contracts, which are typically three years go by without solutions being completely implemented mm-hmm. because of that type of sales mentality. And so the more business focused uh, companies tend to be those sales led, you know, like if you're not generating revenue, you're secondary in my mind. And so with us, like if you it, like we look at our help desk agents as the revenue generators, even though they're below the line. Right. And so like looking at them as a revenue generator, because their quality is di- directly proportionate to like our sales. Mm-hmm. And, and in knowing that I can communicate more effectively as a CEO in this situation to the operations team. So when I'm communicating vision, I know how to take all of this ambiguity out here and then funnel that down to a more concise like uh, interpretation. Having mm-hmm. said that though, I still have failure points and like a virtual communication for me has uh, been tough, making sure that everybody gets the same messages. Like I, I do regular videos and whatnot but not everybody watches those. And so I'll be, sometimes I'll be talking in meetings about this concept that I think everybody's up on and then they're not. Mm-hmm. And so, so those are, that part of it's challenging, but we're working on how to improve that and and whatnot. But it ultimately it comes down to my It increases my ability to communicate to my team and draw the line in the sand. Just like okay, so we may have a vendor or a client or a partner push up on us to do something that's not in scope it is scope creep. I don't know if that's come up on on the show before. But scope is anything outside of your scope that a company wants you to do, and a lot of companies in our industry allow it. And that will immediately, in our in our position, where we're just services, that will take us from a point of making money to not, if we allow that to happen on scale. And so, not to ramble too much, but, so, so drawing the line in the sand, and you know the buck stops here mentality and whatnot. That's actually the most stressful portion of my job, or it's created the most stressful situations I've experienced in my life. And so, being an effective CEO, standing my ground in a in a way that's visible to my team is uh, it's immeasurable when it comes to trust. Mm-hmm. And so, if my trust, if my team trusts me to not screw them over, then we've got a, we've got a lot better a lot better chance to succeed, especially in this virtual, the virtual world.
3: Right. So as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask, uh, one more question. What are you doing to make your business bulletproof? Or what have you done to make your business bulletproof?
2: So, so that would go back into the pandemic. Uh, it, cause Coming into the pandemic, our plan was diverse was to diversify and to create more direct relationships with clients instead of using as many partners because the partners have different motivations to get stuff done and they'll make more spreadsheet decisions than what I'm than what I care to uh, to be involved in, which means that sometimes we'll just get the call and say, hey, we're, we're bringing all our business in because it looks like it makes sense like that or we're outsourcing it to India or some you know somewhere else where the cost is just. It's, it's just lower. And we can't compete with that because we're just US based. We've got a few government clients, so we can't have offshore people and stuff like that. So the, uh, like the goal for us is to, you know, like I said, going into the pandemic was to diversify the ways we do stuff. And that's still true, uh, but we had, to, we had to think in different ways. And so one of the things we did this past year is we've taken this enterprise mindset around mobility And we built an SMB product uh, that fits the needs of smaller businesses, but with the enterprise expertise sitting on top of it. And then, you know, like you can't have like on the on the enterprise side, every scope is customizable. But on the SMB side, we're just like, okay, we're going to build the scope, which is a box, and we're going to put you in that box. And so, but if we build up like five thousand of these SMB lines, and then compare those to to the prices of the enterprise lines, we're going to make a lot more money off of that but it's a lot more hustle to, to get into SMB and whatnot. And so, you know, those are, that's an area we're going into. And then we're, we're also going into uh, an area where we're building carrier relationships. And it's just like it, it's getting our name out there as much as possible to the people that need to know that we exist. Because right now our ability to hire and maintain employees is something that every single person that would potentially want to use us needs to know.
1: Love it. No, yeah. I, I think I think that's a great answer. I think it's being bulletproof is tough, right? Because I think you're assuming perfection exists, but I think getting as close yeah. as you possibly can constantly evolving what you're doing with the changing times um, and just being resilient, knowing that things are going to get hard. And if you can continue to push through that, that builds that level of bulletproofness on your business mm-hmm. to where you can go through the next failure or the next pandemic or the next whatever, much easier, mm-hmm. But Charlie, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. If someone wants to reach out to you, where's the best place to do that?
0: Mm,
2: uh, this is where this is where people normally do their social media stuff. Like I'm on Twitter at Charlie Yielding, uh, but when I say I'm on Twitter, I just have a handle. <laughs> like I get on once, I get on every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> that's about it.
0: I'm a, I'm a, I
2: guess LinkedIn LinkedIn's probably the best way for, for a podcast like this. It's just Charlie Yielding on LinkedIn. Awesome. Uh, that's that's actually where I have my biggest following. So yeah. that's probably it.
1: Love it. No, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, reach out to Charlie. Let him know what you thought. And Charlie, I appreciate your time, in.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me on.
3: Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Bulletproof Business. We post new episodes every week, and we'd greatly appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.